Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Excited to share the best Tuesday you've had all week. And stoked in studio with me today, we've got Derek Simmons. All right, who is everybody? Come on. Everybody's favorite attorney. I say, if he's not your favorite attorney, you're doing it wrong, right? And then Matt Dixon. All right, we're all here and. It's the end of the year, guys. Can you believe it? How did that sneak up? Actually, it seems like it's been like four, five, six years since the last set of holidays. <laughs> that's, that's and it was easily to, a decade before the one before that. Yeah. How'd that sneak up? It's like, well, you know what? 2019 feels like a generation ago. It does. <laughs> 2020 was like, oh, thank goodness we got over it. And then 2020 felt like we got stuck in a feedback loop or something. And not the good one. No, not the not good like, one. We saw Groundhog Day, and this wasn't it. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I will say that for all of the, uh, you know, there's a whole string of things where we could lament the the challenges of 2021. I think there are bright spots. Right? Name one. Go. My kids are back in school. There you go. Right? And that's a, that's a legitimate bright spot where, and and I'm going to do my very, very best to keep this, like, like really like neutral turf. I'm not picking on um, the, the circumstance of the day, but you know, largely our younger population has dodged a lot of the bullets that have come with the pandemic. And so I think it's really a good thing in whatever circumstance that they're getting to resume a little bit of normalcy. So I will call that a win, especially compared to 2020, which was so disruptive. It's true. So many ways. Derek, what about you? Well, one of the things that I saw this year that I was really excited about is I just finished annual meeting season ah. for, for my my favorite corporate and LLC clients that run businesses. And everybody's doing pretty well. Yeah. Everybody would love to have more workers to help them be even more productive, which I, is so much different than, say, 2008 when people were just trying to get out of business as fast as they could. Yeah, trying to hang on or to, you know, minimize the damage. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, it's, I don't have the answer, but this is like a mystery to me, wrapped in a conundrum, hidden away in a vault somewhere. How is it that we have such low unemployment published and yet so much help wanted everywhere. It's true. I, I had this discussion with my brother over the weekend. Um, my theory was that the government money, uh, whether it was the right idea, the wrong idea, we just had to do something, uh, the government money has screwed up the market. I, I think that that's a, it's a, a broad stroke description, but I think it's accurate. Right? And so it's hard to tell exactly how it screwed it up or how long it's going to take to sort itself out. But I'm guessing 18 months before we see anything. 18 months after the end of the uh, the government help slash interference with the markets, till we see it come back to regular so, scheduled programming. So do we? Now I'm going to kind of. I, I, this is a how many angels can dance on the head of a pin question, right? So where where does that date start? Where the intervention has ended like, good question you know i kind of have in my mind like end of september because we sort of saw the wrap-up of the extension of unemployment benefits we did see some advancing of child tax credits but largely those were advances of money that people were going to likely receive anyway and we're not sure we're done 
Yeah, well, that's the other, that's the wild card, too, is like, that's sort of a marker. But yeah, it's still ambiguous as to whether or not, um, here's, a, here's a goofy one, right? Uh, EIDL loans aren't being repaid right now. And they're not letting people repay them. Right. That's the weird part is if you want to repay the EIDL loan, there's no option to do so yet. So weird. <laughs> it is weird. And we also have um, the potential for an extension of things like an eviction moratorium. Yeah. Now, uh, eviction moratorium, I like the sound of that. It sounds way worse if you have people living rent-free for continued long periods, which will continue to be an interference in the market. Yeah, that's a massive one from a, a a real estate value perspective. I mean, it kind of messes up the market a lot, right? Uh, and I don't know how, because the, there's a couple things at play in that one, right? I mean, one, you've got, and, and let's be clear, right? I'm not advocating that you create a homelessness situation. That's not not helpful. Yeah, that's not what we're shooting for here. But if you're a landlord and you can't get a tenant out, it's one thing if it's a good tenant and so you get some kind of supplement for the rent to kind of at least minimize the damage. That's still market disruptive, by the way. Just because the landlord gets paid, if somebody else is not, you are artificially manipulating the supply and demand curve right there. So back to your previous point, right, Derek? Yeah. But what if you have a problem tenant that's destroying the place and you still can't get them out, right? Now the landlord gets to own all of the liability and has none of the upside. And let's let's take one further step to say, aside from the eviction moratorium, the courts have been largely shut down. I mean, they've, they've started to come back online, mm -hmm. but for a long time they weren't. And what that meant was eviction cases got moved back and so did most everything else that was civil to where uh, it was even more difficult to evict someone for cause. Yeah. Yeah. It's hmm. it, so these types of market disruptions are uh, I, I mean, what a that phraseology feels really inadequate. Oh, it's a market disruption, right? I mean, this is significant change in a like the supply demand input output parameters here. we made we made giant pulls on big levers that we've never moved before and so maybe maybe we'll look back in 20 years and say this was a great idea i'm so glad we did that think uh think new deal think roosevelt people mostly say hey that wasn't a bad idea on the other hand maybe it was world war ii that got us out of the depression yeah that hard to is, say hard yeah, to I say history is of course you know we can data fit history if we want to. I agree with your like it's a it's a mixed bag, and it always is, right? I and mean, this is like the president taking credit for one thing and blaming the other guy for something else. We've joked together on the radio. Right. About, if you've listened for any amount of time, you've heard me and Derek on. You know we joked about that, right? Oh well, hey, I'll take the credit I don't deserve, right? But no, I'm gonna blame somebody else if it's bad news. Um, so yeah, I I I agree. It's it's a really interesting time. Here's the data point that I think people maybe aren't, they haven't heard this one. And I think it's a big deal. So first of all, we gotta recognize that our economic output has grown considerably. Okay, so if you think about the size of the United States GDP, right, gross domestic product, we're now somewhere close to 21 or $22 trillion a year in GDP. Okay, 
with a T. That's massive. Now, here's the other crazy stat for you, just because these are fun stats, right? Apple, as a company, is approaching $3 trillion in market capitalization. So imagine that Apple is approaching, what is that, about one-sixth or so of the total gross domestic product in the United States in terms of relative value. Uh, now, that's not the, keep in mind, market capitalization isn't the same as GDP. It's just, for numerical comparison, it's interesting. For one thing, they're spelled differently. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and for another, they are totally unrelated. But other than that, they're really similar, right? Uh, the The part that people don't see is where we've created money and it's off balance sheet, okay? Because here's the really interesting one. You go back to about 2008, okay? Remember the first financial crisis when like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers disappeared? It was no fun. I do remember. It was no, I do too. I mean, we were there. Like, we, you know, Derek and I have been kind of running this uh, parallel adventures for a long time. And back then it was happening, right? So... 2008, uh, I think the technical term for it was sucked, yeah, right? <laughs> technical we'll legal term, but yes, that's <laughs> yeah. what it was. And so we're losing banks, the whole system's collapsing, and we have the first program that comes out from the government. Here's pop quiz. Who remembers the first rescue program and what it was called? I don't got this one. Do you have it, I Derek? I do not. The TARP program. Oh, yeah. Oh. Troubled Asset Relief Program. So 2008... And this was back when Tim Geithner was the uh, Treasury Secretary, and they get together and they say, what do we do about this thing? And they decide to create a loan facility for banks, but and they say it's optional, but it's not really optional. It's you're taking this loan. And as memory serves, it was $800 billion. And everybody just went, whoa, that number was unheard of. 800 billion in government rescue program. It made the savings and loan crisis of the late 80s look pretty patty cake. And the Federal Reserve then uh, goes through a period of trying to structurally force interest rates down to stimulate the economy. First it was rate cuts, and then what came next? Had two, two letter initials, right? Starts with a Q, ends in an E. Qualitative easing. It's actually that's really so close. You you get I know quite, I totally get quantitative credit for that. easing, uh, right? So that, that oftentimes yeah. well, quantitative is more, but qualitative is how good it is. Right, it was right. good so easing. The, yes, good. <laughs> some really good easing. <laughs> so well done, right? So quantitative easing, bond buying, right? So the government steps in and buys the treasuries. The, or not the government, the Federal Reserve, which is not the government. Interestingly enough, the Federal Reserve right. is not a government entity, but it steps in, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure buys isn't. the treasuries. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, sure. It we, walks we appoint and talks people like to run it. it, but you know, it's a quasi-government. Quasi-government. But it is not a taxpayer-funded entity, unless you get into the well. We are buying treasuries, and well, when do we pay them back? Anyway, this program we're going to. We'll save you the boredom of the Federal Reserve explanation. Just know that the Federal Reserve did something really interesting. Now, what did I say that our current GDP was? Was it 21? 
Yeah, about twenty-one trillion? trillion. Okay, I remember okay. Apple. That was that was three. which is three trillion. Yeah. Good, and then the Federal Reserve, which also has a balance sheet that has a total amount of assets on it, right? So the Federal Reserve has a, a net worth on its balance sheet. Now, here's the trick question for everybody: What does the Federal Reserve have in common with Enron? Are you taking us to the break and learning that totally later? Gonna do. We'll come back after the break, and I'm gonna, uh, yeah, we'll like. You're like, did you seriously loop Enron in with the Federal Reserve? Yeah, it is a stretch, but stick around; it'll make sense. We'll got. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn, Matt Dixon, and Derek Simmons, and you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Today, Dave Littlejohn in studio with... Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. And we're talking about quantitative easing. Yes. Al- yes. Although qualitative was, was way more I know. fun. I know. At the, at the break, I'm sitting there going like, qualitative easing, it sounds like a laxative or something. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh... I bet there's a lesson in there, Dave, and I bet you'll find what it is. <laughs> I, I, uh, all I know is it's messy. So, <laughs> no. uh, we... I, I was I was pulling a fun example here. Explained it to the guys at the break because we're not crazy. How does Enron and the Federal Reserve relate? Give them a backdrop. Yeah, you got to know the story of Enron. You guys want you, Derek? You remember the Enron story? Vaguely, vaguely. These were energy traders, yep. gen- primarily. Right. Yeah, it's a publicly traded company, and they were trading energy. And then what they did was they had some really bad investments, and what they did was they spun off companies and moved all their crap over into there. Right. Do I have that right so far? Yeah, yeah. It still sounds like uh, qualitative easing, frankly, but I, I, I hear you. I, yeah, I think Manipulating it, I think the balance sheet. Really qualitative, questionable qualitative easing there. So think about it as what they were attempting to do and then what happened, right? So Enron doesn't exist anymore. They went bye-bye. And what what they, they were a darling, right? It's like the number one performing stock in the late 90s. Everything was going bananas. And then... They get caught with these, you know, this is the air quotes version, accounting irregularities. Okay. And that, that may as well be like a sword through the heart of a company anymore. If you hear the phrase accounting irregularities, that is bells, whistles, sirens, danger. Okay. And the markets know this. It's a dog whistle now. But because if you add two and three and get seven, that's irregular. Yes. Okay. And and what they were doing is by creating these other entities and sort of what they're trying to do is take all the bad assets and hide them on the off of their balance sheet so that investors would see all the good stuff but not the bad stuff. And then in Ooh, the audit, shiny. Yeah, in the audit process it was sort of discovered that mm, maybe there's not as good a, you know. And and before you know people figured out, wait a second, it's not all shiny. And the house of cards collapsed, right? And once one investor wanted out and everybody else wanted out, it was like a herd of lemmings and the, the stock ultimately imploded and was gone. So do we want out of the Federal Reserve? Uh, that is a really interesting rhetorical question. My suggestion is probably not. At this point, we're really deep into it. But you, you will talk in some circles, uh, the, the folks that are really economically conservative, so like Austrian economic theorists, or folks that 
would would argue for something like we should go back to a gold standard where we're not a fiat currency, but we're actually backed by some kind of tangible commodity. Those folks tend to say, grumble, grumble, Federal Reserve, bad. But but I guess we should, first of all, say now, how is the Federal Reserve doing what Enron did? Well, that's kind of the key is the Federal Reserve, unlike Enron, you can see them do it, but most people are missing it, right? You may have heard that the federal debt has exceeded our GDP. We have more than 21, so 21 trillion in GDP, but we have more than 21 trillion worth of debt. I think we have like 26 trillion or something. I don't, don't quote Yikes. me on that one. But, but our debt to GDP ratio has, has flipped, right? So we now are borrowing more than we're earning each year. Be the equivalent of, hey, I got, now people do this all the time, by the way, right? Sinking in credit card debt, just well, keep putting it on the debt, credit I was card. I like and... a mortgage, right? Oh, well, somebody buys okay. a mortgage and their house is worth more than they earn per year. But if you're borrowing, if you're borrowing that same amount every year, you will never get out. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they borrow 21 trillion per year. Okay. But and but what happens is at first you can imagine having an adjustable rate mortgage and at first, hey, I let's make it really easy numbers. Let's say I make $100,000 a year but I have a $5,000 a month mortgage. Pretty high, but let's just say well, that's what it is, right? So over the course of a year I have 60,000 in mortgage payments. Right. And I make a hundred. And we're gonna ignore taxes right now and all that other hoopla. That's just where you land. Okay. But your variable rate goes up and now your mortgage payment is ten thousand dollars a month, but your income is a hundred. Right? Or, or your income is hundred for the year, you've got hundred and twenty thousand in payments. That's the concern is that if interest rates begin to go higher, our ability to service the debt that we have amassed will start to exceed our ability to collect taxes to service the debt. Okay, so that is a structural problem. And we're knocking on the door. Well, that's, and so some would argue that the Federal Reserve is cornered and has to keep interest rates low, which forces the stimulative environment that has created some of the, the weird problems, really big levers being pulled, right? Right. And we don't know what the outcome will be. And, and I don't either, just so you know. I mean, I can give you my theories, but big deal. The reason the Federal Reserve is like Enron is because we don't count their balance sheet in the debt. And the Federal Reserve back in 2008, before the financial crisis, had under a trillion dollars on their balance sheet. It was a little over 800 billion. And today, at last I checked it, and again, some fact checker can go out and get the, you know, go look for the broad strokes on this one. Don't quote me on the exact number, but this is gonna be pretty close. The Federal Reserve now has something like $9.2 trillion on their balance sheet. And you're saying that doesn't even register on the country's. It's not yeah. part of the country's debt. So Remember, it's that unseen a number. government unrelated entity. Right. And just like Enron putting debt somewhere else on the books, like, well, the Federal Reserve has got all this debt now because it's bought all these treasuries and things. So their balance sheet's gotten huge. The modern monetary theorist would say, so what? Do you have to pay it back? If does the Federal Reserve have to pay itself back or pay, you know pay the debt back? The government is you know getting paying interest to what? It's kind of like you know oh I bought I used one of my credit cards to pay my other credit card. Do you just bounce it back and forth? 
I don't know the answer to this. I just know that when you have the full faith and credit of the government backing your fiat currency, what happens if people lose faith? It does make me feel squeamish to use one credit card to pay off another, even if it is totally legal. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, you know, one of them's at 15%, the other one's at zero. So that makes it cool, right? It's like, well, no, it makes it work in that moment. But mm -hmm. it didn't address the behavior that got you there. Exactly. <laughs> right? So that's kind of the issue. And I don't know. I, I've done the math on the COVID spending and so forth. When, when I looked at it, it was something akin to like $12,000 for every man, woman, and child in the country is the money that we created out of nowhere. And what I will suggest is if, we, if that number is about accurate, that has economic impacts when you conjure $12,000 per person in the country and then throw it into the supply and demand system as we already knew it. And you're like, well, what happens now? And you're like, well, let's get some popcorn and watch. I had this I had this discussion with Alex, my oldest son. Ah, yes. He's been on the radio, my favorite paratrooper yeah, at the Air Force story. Academy. He he was, to, I said. Is he in town next week? Can we get him back for more stories? Uh, he's not. He's leaving. Oh, he's got to go back to school. But anyway, Bummer. I had, uh, I said, we printed a bunch of money and we mailed it out. We, the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And he said, no. No, that's not exactly what we did. We didn't print more money. And after discussion, what I really meant was we borrowed it from our grandchildren. We took money from the future and we mailed it out. Kind of. Because yeah. we're going to have to, somebody's going to have to pay it back. That's, that's the weird theory, though, right? Do we have to pay it back? Well, if it's the, on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and it can stay there in theory... Right. Well, then the do we card. ever pay it back or do we just keep racking up that? Or what happens if the Treasury simply lets the debts expire? Right. So Treasury owes money and they have a balloon payment at the end. What if the Federal Reserve just says we will forgive the repayment? Interesting. We'll just write it off. That's an Could interesting the thought. the government write off debt? And what does that do to... The, the money supply, right? Because you're essentially, you're if you're forgiving debt to the government, you're taking money supply out, right? You're reducing the money in circulation in theory, and you're could that help rates. control inflation rates? It's part of the quantitative easing process, so yes, right. But we're getting into really this is kind of lofty economic theory, and. I think it's it goes back to that how many angels can dance on the head of a pin question. Like, Thirty-seven. You don't know the answer. What if one angel's bigger? How big's the pin? Like we just don't know the variables, and we won't know until after the fact what did or didn't work. And the, here's the really weird part: we may not really know for for years, and by the time we kind of know, we'll have thrown so many new things at it that will be hard. It will obfuscate the truth, right? Yeah. It's so a complicated thing. If we thought it was simple, we were in the wrong business. Yeah. Well, and so this brings me to the what do you do theory about this. And the answer is not a cliffhanger wait for the break. The answer, I mean, the answer is very simple. Do the best you can, right? Play the hand you're dealt because I can't stop the Federal Reserve's behavior. Right. Can you No. this has long been the same um, advice that I've been giving people about uh, Social Security payments. Mm -hmm. So I'm early 50s. 
and I have never expected to get any Social Security. Right. And, and and likely you will receive it. And likely I will, but I never planned on it. Right. I had to plan around it because I didn't I didn't expect it to be there. Yep. And so it's the same sort of deal. You plan as though this is going to be a problem at some point, but uh-huh. there's nothing else. It's, it's not going to change your behavior other than taking care of yourself. Yeah. So I like that. This will be fun. Um, I am going to cliffhanger everybody on this one though, which is what's the end of the world trade look like? Right. If the end of the world was going to happen, what should we do as investors? And then guns and whiskey. What should we do if the end of the world doesn't come? But we got to take our obscene profit break first. So sounds good. Or does it? Are we waiting on the? The music didn't start, did it? No. You're no, giving me that not. look like when it's you not reach coming the through end the headphones. Of the world, this sort of thing happens. I guess. Maybe a maybe the hard break needed to, to take longer. Commercials right. go away at the end of the world. I give up. I could you give know what's going to happen? With that. I am going to give you the answer anyway for the end of the world trade. <gasps> I know. And and the end of the Matt already gave it out. It's my favorite joke in the financial lexicon. What do you do if the end of the world is coming? Sell everything and buy guns and whiskey. Did I actually get it? Oh yeah. Nice. So the guns and maybe I have been paying is, attention during is these. like the the ultimate Douglas County uh, meme trade, if you will, which just says, "Hey, if your money's going to be worth nothing, what you actually want is tradable commodities." Yeah, like that's what you have to believe. I actually know some people. That's all they invest in is guns. Yeah, and I consider that a dangerous investment for uh, probably reasons that you will chuckle about. Okay. Not, not because like I'm not anti-gun or anything like that. Because people that think like if you're not diversified, then you're just over invested in a single sector. Historically, That's guns true. have actually been pretty good store of value, and they've oh, gone yeah. up. So they have they've outpaced inflation largely, and they've done, they've done a really good job of that. It's an interesting from a commodity trading perspective. They are also legislatively, forgive the pun, but they are in the crosshairs. <laughs> Right? That was a good pun. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, because we constantly have, I mean, we do have an evolving culture in this country. And whether you agree or disagree with it is not my point. No, there's financial risk associated with Absolutely. buying weapons in the same way there is in buying uh, Bitcoin or alternative currencies. Yeah. Once they become regulated, exactly. they, may not, they may not be on the same trajectory. I'm really, and that's a great segue. That's one we should. We sh- really should talk about that. So here, they, look, there's music now. We'll use that as our segue. When we come back, how are Bitcoins and guns alike? Ooh, can bom, we title bom, the show bom. that? Yeah, Bitcoins and gun. All right, that and more when we come back. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where if you are just joining us, you have missed out on all kinds of fun. I've got special guests with me in studio today. Well, so normally, Matt, yeah, I'm Matt's here. here. I'm here. Matt's here a lot. But I feel special. Yeah. So, Derek, we're super stoked to have you. Uh, just a reminder. So I understand you practice law. I do. But, I do. But seldom do you have to sue people. Almost never. Right. So you're the friendly lawyer. I am. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm business, estate planning. Wills, trusts, that sort of thing. Uh huh. And so, if you are looking at, if you've ever asked yourself, do I need to incorporate? You need to call Derek. 
And Derek right. will tell you, yes. And, that's, that's, and, and he'll say yes. Is that what I just heard? Like, <laughs> no, like, Not always. No, usually there's more a consultative approach than that. <laughs> uh, how do they reach you? My number is 677-7185. All right. So there you go. And the area but, code- but more fun, more oh, fun is the website, seriousbusiness.law. You know, serious business sounds like it could have been a Harry Potter character. It should have, yeah, but it wasn't. No, serious business would be in a um, a parody. Yes, yeah, serious. We w- business. we must write this one later in our spare time. Uh, yeah, you, we might now. That that <laughs> serious business does sound like it should be a spoof musical, right? That there you go, and the guy needs to. There's got to be a a hat with a feather in it. That's just all there is to it. And then macaroni. Go ahead. Yes. So, all right. If you're wondering what we've been talking about up to this point, so are we. But you can find out on the podcast. It'll be available tomorrow. Go to littlejohnfs.com. Check under the Educate tab, and we'll get it posted there so you can get caught up. Uh, We have covered a lot, and I think— Where did we leave off? Where we left off was Bitcoin and guns. Okay. Right? Bitcoin and guns. And if you're wondering, how are these relating? Don't worry. Derek's going to tell you. Derek is going to tell you that Matt is our expert in this particular topic. <laughs> and then I'm going to pass it back to David, and we're going to keep going like that until the end of the show. Great. Oh, no, I mean, so we're teasing about it, um, but you brought this point up, Derek. Like Bitcoin, so I started with the, the guns and whiskey trade. Is, like, if, the, if the world's really coming to an end, like if the U.S. dollar is going to tank, and there's people out there, they have told me, like, I think it's going to crash. I'm going to go buy all gold. And I look at them when they have two heads and go, why gold? Well, you know, because because I can trade it for stuff. I go, well, what makes you think anybody's going to want gold if the the world collapses? What you need is stuff that's tradable for stuff that other people want. So it's like you need guns and whiskey. They're both useful. right? And that was your joke. It's the guns and whiskey trade. But really yeah. it's a commodities and physical, tangible goods that will hold their value. Why? You know someone's out there like, that's why I invest in real estate. You know, Well, and real estate too, but here's, here's the catch to real estate, just like any other assets for that matter that are physical and tangible. Can you secure them and maintain the right to them? That's the challenge. A lot of the value in real estate comes from the fact that we've got giant systems that protect your interest in that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've the got- title security... And, and then actually the infrastructure system around it, this is one of those where people are go, like, there's going to be some real Jeffersonian Republican types that I'm going to piss off right here. And I'm going to giggle when I do it. Ooh. Right? Because we all remember at one point there was this, maybe we all don't, a bunch of people are going to remember, though, that uh, Barack Obama got sort of caught in a statement where he said, well, you didn't build that. And it, it just created all this blowback from the right wing side of the aisle because it was the implication that entrepreneurs didn't create things, that the government basically did it. That was not the context of what was said. And I will defend that, right? Even if I can also say, I did not vote for Barack Obama, that's okay, right? But I'm going to defend him on this one. He never said that. The context of what he said was entrepreneurs that build things do so in a framework that was provided through public infrastructure. And without that infrastructure, they wouldn't have had the platform with which to be entrepreneurial. That was the context of what he said. This is what I've always started with when I explain to my kids what government does. Nobody wants to build roads. 
Right. But we all want to drive on them. Yeah. And they're part of the backbone of everything that happens. And, and this is why I am not a zero tax guy. I, I don't say taxation is theft. I say good governance remains as small as it can while still providing an enhanced return on investment. If you put a dollar in and get more than a dollar's worth of value out, that's a good investment, right? Where we disagree with is where how we value some of those things, and I understand that, right? And we'll continue to, that debate will go on. But real estate oftentimes is valuable because of the infrastructure around it, right? That premium corner lot with the high traffic area and the stoplight and everything, without the stoplights and roads, it's just a piece of dirt. It's true. Or the same piece of dirt that is um, 20 miles from I-5 versus right on I-5, they're worth different amounts. Absolutely. And so it's because of the location relative to oftentimes other public infrastructure, okay, to include utilities and so forth. So I am not myopic. And I'm not going to, well, not about this. <laughs> You've got your spots. I have my spots. I got lots of blind spots. But the point is simply that real estate is one of those where can you secure it? Okay. I think blockchain is very interesting for that, by the way. A, a decentralized database that can track chain of custody. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. I think title companies need to be worried that long-term blockchain could supplant them. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. I think that that is a business model that... Title companies need to be figuring out how to engage in blockchain usage because it's that or become obsolete. Yeah. Right? Um, and I'm sure that they're on top of this, right? But it's, it's likely to cost them a lot of money because it's likely to drive the premiums down on title because the, the title searching is going to get easier and easier and easier when you have a decentralized but validated chain of custody. Do we want to dive into the weeds on blockchain and talk about no, that? No, we don't. No, we do not. Okay. We want to hear about Bitcoin and guns. Well, oh, yeah. okay. So back to end of the world dollars gone, right? This is people's case for Bitcoin, and it's people's case for if the dollar is going to disappear, why you want to own physical assets and why why gold versus anything else. I say, who cares about gold? I want the stuff. You can use. You can use and you can trade, Right. Fungible, useful, portable stuff. Gold was really valuable back in the day because it was small and it was rare and it was hard to duplicate. Mm -hmm. Okay, And there were simple methods that you could use to confirm its authenticity. Right? How hard was it? How much displacement? In the cartoons, they always bid on it. Yeah. Okay. And that was a real thing, by the way. Right? So that was all part of the gig. Okay. I don't know that gold has to be the useful thing okay guns and whiskey are and we joke about that but guns are under regulatory scrutiny like it or not you can be an ardent second amendment uh, believer and i'm going to respect that and i'm not even going to disagree with you on that but i'm it's, i'm going to be a realist too and a pragmatist in me says you may lose that vote eventually because the more young people that you know begin to change you you can rewrite laws does that drive the price up or down though at first, it can drive it up because of scarcity, but mm -hmm. if they are made illegal, just like what if we make blockchain, what, what if they change the regulatory environment around it? What if it, you know, all these NFTs, I've said it on air and I'll say it again. I think that there's a lot of shady stuff going on in the NFT market right yeah. now. And you don't, you don't see somebody create a piece of artwork that goes from $50 to purchase it to 300000 
because it's such a really cool piece of artwork, right? There's weird stuff going on right now. It's very frothy market, very, very tulip bubble kind of marketplace. Mm -hmm. If you remember the 1500s and the Dutch tulip bubble, uh, it's that kind of weirdness. And I think that there's a lot of like money laundering and other crap going on in there because it's anonymous, yeah, high transaction volume. And you can, I think that's where money laundering is occurring right now. Hmm. I think it's a ripe, ripe target. So NFTs are not the things I want to put my money into. If, if the end of the world is coming. It's, (laughs) I would suggest that these things are, none of them are investments. They're all speculation. And I don't mind you speculating. Okay. And you may be able to be wildly profitable at it, but I tell people, understand what you are doing. If you believe that going to the blackjack tables is investing, I'll disagree with you. You may be really, really good at it and can count cards and improve your odds. It's still gambling to me. It's different than investing. And I think you're speculating with these asset classes for now. Institutions are doing it too. They're seeking legitimacy right now. So I'm not here to trash them. I'm just saying, be aware of your arena of combat, people. So these these two investments, guns and Bitcoin, both have some risk to them. They both have a lot of regulatory risk to them. That's that's my take on this. And so um, Bitcoin doesn't typically hurt people the way somebody with a gun can. And I guess I phrase that on purpose that way. Right. But that so when you look at how things get targeted from regulation, you can come at it from different emotional angles. Right. And that's how politics work. But make no mistake, the IRS is more concerned about Bitcoin than your guns. Oh, for sure. Right. And the they IRS want their is trying fair to share. figure out how are people hiding our piece of the action? And when you have a 20 some odd trillion dollar debt to get paid off, you're looking in the sofa cushions. And that's where this stuff lives. Right Bitcoin now. is in your sofa. I like that. <laughs> so, anyway, well, look, we're running a little long here. Let's grab our last break and we come back. Uh, a few other key thoughts for the end of the year. Is this the last True Wealth program of 2021? But we got to take this break. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of 2021 in the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio today with me. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. And we are going to do, for the the last segment of the year, this was a a fun and newly invented uh, game that we're going to play, I guess, right? It is. So what what do we call it? All right. This is uh, Bitcoining. Bitcoining. Yes, because what we're doing is we're going to coin terms... And ah. then we're going to come up with definitions for them. All right. Financially so relevant definitions. Financial definitions to terms that you're going to give us. And so is this, are they real terms, false terms, or who knows? We're just going to go with it. Yes, that Perfect. is correct. All right. A- actually, you did use one that I'm relatively sure is real, but okay. I don't know what it means. NFTs. Uh, non-fungible token. NFT is non-fungible token. I could not have made that up. Here's what yeah. it is. I'd scribble something on a napkin, upload it in a digital format, and then charge you $100,000 for it. <laughs> and you get the ownership of it digitally. It's it's essentially securing copyright 
on something digital. So whether it's a piece of art, music, or anything else, because it's secured on the blockchain, you can validate its authenticity. That is absolutely right, Dave. Okay. It is, in fact, um, money laundering. <laughs> That's exactly perfect, what it perfect. is. So, all right, all right. Here, here's my next one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Pistology. Pistology. Ooh. Oh, I, I, this to me sounds like the art of investing in handguns. It does. It does. That's a good guess, Matt. You want to add a pistology? Um, I'm going to go with the theories that David has when he's mad. He's Ooh, pissed. Yes, yes. David's pistology. Yeah. The other one was like, isn't that a part of a flower's anatomy? So it was like, is this some kind of uh, ologist thing where you study that uh, because it's the the reproductive parts of a flower? Ooh. Okay. No, it was okay. not. It so was in fact. Uh, when you invest in pistols. Okay. okay I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Are you ready now? Yes. Corkscrew employment. Corkscrew employment. <laughs> you really think mm. well on your feet, by the way, Derek. Okay, I like so this. Corkscrew employment to me is when you have more than one job at the same time and you have to try to juggle the schedule between both employers without making either of them angry. Ooh. Ooh. Other thoughts, Matt? Uh, I'm going to go with, like, you know, you've got the cork in the bottle. You put the corkscrew in there and just rip them out of the market. So I'm, I'm seeing, like, you're just getting ripped out of the job market. You're done. You're out of the, you're out of the bottle. I was thinking more like uh, folks that are putting, they put their left foot into the employment circle and then they take it out. They put their left Ooh. foot in and they shake it all about. So but like that would be more. Pokey that would be more. Job search. That would have been a better one. I should have hmm. used can we rewind or is this live? It's it's live ish. It's live yeah. it's live every single time we do it. I yes. understand. All right, all right. Here's another one. Blarnum. Blarnum. This sounds like uh something on a Nickelodeon program that you would dump on someone's head if they get an answer wrong. Mm. I can't give you full points for that one, Matt. Okay. I say it again. Blarnum. Blarnum. Oh, so it should be a financial definition. Huh? It should. I'm going to go. It may with, in fact, be a an acronym. Blarna. But that would take a while to come up with. I, it sounds like a cryptocurrency. Like I'm <laughs> trading you some Blarnum. Like oh, we got to go Blarnum. buy some Blarnum. I like I got, that. I got Blarnum at four cents. Over yes, here. yes. <laughs> and you have to talk in a pirate voice the whole now time. It's worth, you do. That's right. Now it's worth seventeen. <laughs> All right, seventeen cents. All right, I did not get points. Maybe on that it was one, the pirates' recall, cryptocurrency. The, the, Maybe that was the original. We just don't know about it. All right, here's my last one. Okay. Chronoplasty. That sounds real. I'm going that's real. You Are didn't you? Yeah, I, I don't like think you made that up. Chronoplasty is the uh, what we would call this is an accounting term for manipulating a balance sheet to try to make it look better than it really does. As though you'd done something earlier when in fact you haven't. That was specifically it is it's manipulating yeah. the time frame of when something occurs on the balance sheet, so chronoplasty. So as far as I know, that wasn't a real term, but I think it is now. I think, I think we have just I created- I think we could take that. We I created like, an NFT here, right? Do I, does that work? Yes, <laughs> no? I, okay. and so all you have to do now is- $100,000, Matt, yeah, work it over. We're gonna, we we're gonna upload the, the audio feed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm unaware of how, and then we need to stake it somehow also, that's part of the thing, because I don't know how you cook that steak. But. All right, I'm in. I'm in. Let's okay, get it. Let's get rich. 
<laughs> you know oh. what? Let's make NFTs of the radio show. Like you can buy a one of one every time we upload this. You can oh, download a, a podcast it. Podcast NFT. Ooh. It's like yeah. you could be the only one that has this information. And that's people right. Say, I don't know if that's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna charge you one dollar. It's like, what happens if uh, I? The whole point of the show is to distribute. It's technically a paid advertisement. Here. Oh, <laughs> I like that we've really turned this around. It's like we did this show so well that nobody else should be able to hear it but you. That's right. <laughs> but for the right price, we would consider it. Yeah, I, I have to say that it's generally speaking, I can be bought on most things. <laughs> Not all, I will say, but most. So that's Bitcoinage. We will do Bitcoin it again some other time. This is fun. <laughs> we need to bring this segment back. So, uh, you know, uh, the next time that we have you as a guest, I think we need to uh, load that one up. And what is the musical we're going to write? That was the other one that you started oh. with. We were going we to make one on... Uh, now, see, we're drawing. We're going to listen to our own podcast. Yeah, what we that are. Was, huh? Was it Blarnum? No, Blarnum no. was a was a cryptocurrency. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, anyway, it's we'll on there. Go and take a listen. It's on the podcast. <laughs> Where can they find it, David? Littlejohnfs.com. All right. And so, as you're gearing up for next year, and you're planning your goals out, and you're, uh, you know, planting that flag and posting your visions or whatever else. All right. So here's what I want to challenge you to. First, if you've got goals and you want an accountability partner, we will help you. You send us an email, right? Send it to info at littlejohnfs.com. That is the same email that you can send your questions on air if you've got any other interesting ones. I know we have one probably for next week about non-deductible IRAs and the Roth conversion. We'll save that for later, but we're out of time for today. Derek, one more time, how do they reach you? 541-677-7185. All right, Matt, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right, and what does everybody do after this program? Have yourself a wonderful new year. So thanks for tuning in as always. Until next time, this is Dave Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. Happy New Year. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. Catch you in 2022. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.